The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Taylor's Last Stand, Briar's Taylor Shop, Dr. Jackson, Miss Rogers, White Phelps, Commodore Knox, and Thomas. Welcome listeners and fellow travelers to the world. Greetings from Lovecraft Country, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Tuesday, October 13th, 2020, and I am your host and tour guide, Derek Anthony. As we travel through Lovecraft Country, we're going to explore and dissect the latest episode of the HBO series. Please welcome my co-host, Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome back, fellow travelers. And Vanetta Berry. Hey, y'all. Let me open the guidebook so that we can explore season one, episode nine, which was titled Rewind 1921 and aired October 11th, 2020. Here is the official travel diary of our itinerary. In order to save D, our heroes must journey back to 1921, the night Tulsa was burned down, where we learn the origin of Montrose Freeman. All right. What was everyone's initial reaction? Let's start with Vanetta. Um, I thought that this was... I knew that it was going to be Tulsa because they had mentioned it a couple of times. I had steeled myself against the horror of watching the Tulsa um, situation again. However, it still hit me hard. Um, but it was a very, very excellently uh, orchestrated episode. Jeffrey? Yeah, it was deep. It was deep. It was beautifully acted. It was incredibly sad and tragic, but yet hopeful at the end, based off of our characters and, and, and what's going on with them. Uh, we, we unpacked a lot in this episode, and everyone was just firing on all cylinders. It, it was just a, a visual masterpiece i was i had many many emotions from this episode uh mostly good some not so good but it wasn't had nothing to do with the writing or anything it was just seeing tulsa the way they filmed it because I don't think I've ever seen it filmed like this before. I've seen it mentioned. I've seen it shown in spits and spurts. But to actually see the weight of the city itself and what it looked like and to watch it burn was just, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. All right. But before we get any deeper into that and we start our journey through Lovecraft Country, Here's our announcer with a few special announcements. 
Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Greetings from Lovecraft Country and subscribe. Thank you, announcer. All right, so unlike what we normally do when we go character by character, we need to just go in order because that's the only way we can do this. So. We start the episode with, um, I'm going to go to Vanetta for this one, because this bothered you so very much last week, and I was very happy to see that there were actual repercussions of it. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought about you guys as soon as they started uh, pointing fingers, I was just like, see, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. And Ruby was here for none of it because she, she ironically enough, had removed herself from any responsibility whatsoever. That, you know, now that you're just saying that, I'm like, yeah, she really did, didn't she? Yes. Y'all not going to be. Yeah, you you to blame, too. Well. I, I love that. I, I love that they, um, that, that that was acknowledged, that everybody was kind of doing their own thing. And they all kind of realized how they had dropped the ball. Except for Ruby. Well, you know, here's my thing about Ruby. Ruby, Ruby's job was to stay at the funeral in case she came back. That's true. And that's what Ruby did. Ruby stayed at the funeral until it was over or whatever. And then she went on about her business. She went on to have sex for four hours. (laughs) She got that back broke. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. I have actually been there. I um oh. I after a funeral, I really really needed that type of um connection. Yeah. And I had an ex who was like, oh, "That's disrespectful. You shouldn't do that right after." And I was like, "Well, you can go." Cuz sometimes you do need that. Sometimes you need to feel life. And yeah. After dealing with death all day. Absolutely. Um Letty tells Tick that the one bargaining chip that he thought they had, she has already given away. That didn't go over well. <laughs> I could see yeah. his face like, damn it. Yeah, but here's my thing. Nobody discusses, none of them discuss anything as a group. Nope. They all make individual decisions. In fact, this thing with D is has brought them together for the first time as a group where they all lay cards on the table. Yeah, absolutely. Because other than that, they would all still be off chasing their own agendas. Um, did you think that um, Christina was going to help? Um, I, I did. Because I know she's not finished with her plans and her machinations. Jeffrey, I'm going to come to you in a little while about Christina. 
Okay, uh, yes. I yeah, my mind goes back and <laughs> forth with Christina. I want to talk for a minute. I want I want to mention again Ruby. Ruby has become Ruby has become Letty's best defender. Mhm. Um did anybody see that coming? I did. Did you? Okay. Well, because it's the nature of sisters. I can't stand you. You get on my nerves. But I'll be damned if somebody else gonna treat you like crap. That's kind of how it is. I don't have uh, bloodborne sisters, but I have like chosen sisters, and that's mm-hmm. the way we are. Like we are down for each other, even though we can't stand each other. Um, and so in my head, it makes perfect sense that she would be Letty's best defender. Okay. Um, even though because them giving us the background on how wrought their relationship is with trouble. It's wrought with trouble and, and conflict and everything, but yet when Letty first first comes to town, she knows exactly where to find her. They don't have cell phones, but she knew exactly where to find her sister. They were completely in step in that song and they True. hadn't seen each other for some number of years. So that let me know that they have a really close relationship, even though they don't see eye to eye and, you know, argue a lot. They have a really close relationship. And so I'm really excited that they are showing more of that. I think is really important. Which is why we need a second season so we can further explore that. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, Bingo. Okay, so Jeffrey Christina shows up. Now, I'm going to yeah. be very honest. I need to say this. It took me a couple of watches to realize that Christina was not trying to decide that D was worth saving. And I understand that that's my shit. Because when she was looking at D's artwork, she was like, oh, she's really talented. I was like, yeah, so if she wasn't, she wouldn't save her. And it took me like a couple of times to realize that that actually meant something very different. But um, Jeffrey, Christina shows up. You have feelings. Christina does show up and uh, like I've been reading comments on the internet just by, you know, people that watch the show and that sort of thing. And a lot of people are really in that like, oh, Christina, you know, she really cares about Ruby and she's doing this because of Ruby. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, you know, Ruby's going to be the one to get through to Christina and all this kind of stuff. And there's part of me that at moments when I'm watching the show I can buy that. But then I have to remember this is Christina and she's got a big ass plan. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust her. Like, I feel like she, she's playing the character perfectly because there's like sinister undertones to what she does and how she's choosing what she's doing. But uh, even at this point, we're nine episodes in like, part of me is like, she's going to get him. And then part of me is like, maybe we've been reading the whole thing wrong. And I don't know which way we're going to go. I'm a Gemini, so I have the, the internal struggle anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I, like, I find her really interesting to watch. Um, is, is she going to be full-on villain? Is she, is she going to be villain and thwarted? Is she going to be... Uh, a villain that realizes what she's doing is wrong. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And the internet seems to be really all over the place 
when it comes to thinking what Christina's doing, why she's doing it, and uh, and what she's going to end up doing, which is really interesting. Like I, I don't, I've never, I haven't seen a, a majority go one way. It seems like everyone is thinking different things, and it's fascinating. I myself, I have no idea what the hell Christina's doing. Uh, I wasn't surprised that she helped because I feel like, uh, much like what Vanetta said, that in in essence, you know, she's she's still has stuff to do, so she still needs stuff to happen. Um, clearly our people are, are doing their own thing as well. So, and, and I don't know if she has really taken that into account. Um, but Christina was interesting to watch throughout the entire episode, uh, in, in this scene and in uh, a scene later on as well. I have a question for both of you. You know, I go back, I do some rewatches of the other episodes. And this Saturday, I plan on Saturday into Sunday, I plan on um, rewatching all nine episodes together. Um, so that when I watch Sunday's episode, I will have figured out everything. I love it. Um, <laughs> you are the Miss Cleo of the podcast. I'm just saying. I am. I do have a question for you later on. Okay. But here's my question for both of you about Christina. Have we caught Christina in a lie to our group? We've caught her in, um, I don't know if you call this a lie, but some people really get offended by lie by omission. She okay. never said anything about the autumnal equinox. And when Tick brought it up last week, she was shooketh in the face, but she, she was thought. looking she was looking away, so he couldn't see that she was shooketh in the face. So she composed herself and then turned around. She was like, you know, I, I don't remember now what she said last week, but like I remember, like that was a lie by omission. And if we're gonna, if if you consider that a lie, that is a lie. I'd have to really think back to see if she's ever lied about anything else specifically. But it is, it's a little that lie by omission. I feel like is really important. And the fact that she made the deal, and she specifically was like, you know, you're gonna have to come here by your own accord, because like we've learned that magic is is kind of like that in this world. You have to go you know, willingly <laughs> into... You have to have intent. Yes, and then you have to go willingly but into the pit of fire. Because he asked her what happens on that day, and she didn't answer him, so really she didn't lie to him, and she's under no obligation to answer him. I love how you're but giving her you all want, these technicalities. If you invite me to your place, and I say, okay, well, what's going to happen? And you just go, you must come there on your own accord. Um... Do I have to really? At that point, he did, he you know he was really under no obligation to come. Now, because of this whole thing of him saving of her saving D, you know, there's going to be a little bit more pressure for her for him to go ahead and and show exactly. up. But um, yeah, she was she was kind of sneaky about it. She was. I never said she wasn't sneaky. I asked if she lied. <laughs> And, and the reason I'm asking that is because, as Jeffrey was saying, you know, people say she's all over the place. But I tend to think she has been very honest about who she is and that she has a plan. For she's herself. also been incredibly consistent. Yes, and she's been very consistent about that. 
So I was just curious. May I ask you a question back? Go ahead. Okay. So a lot of what I've read online where they're really, in essence, they're, they're rooting for Christina to do the right thing. Um, cause I, I, you know, I think a lot of people think she is going to end up killing Tick or, or a lot of people think Tick is going to die and that sort of thing. Funnily enough, a lot of the internet, I read, I read this one comment that cracked me up. This lady was like, I hope next week that motherfucker dies cause he annoys the living shit out of me. So it made me laugh. I was like, Oh, the Tick haters. But um, which probably has to do with a lot of what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks of uh, people not really uh, um, um, uh, just grasping the concept of a of a flawed hero or or a or a hero in the gray and a hero that makes mistakes and all that kind of stuff. But um, but a lot of what I've read where people sort of come to Christina's defense, they use Ruby as as like the crutch, as in like why. They're rooting for whatever with Christina. They're like, Ruby will be the one, and this, that, or the other. Now, I've read a whole bunch of other comments where they think Ruby's a punk for getting sucked into Christina and, and all of, of that. But my question is, 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 do we think if Christina ends up not doing whatever she does, do we think it is because of Ruby? Do we think that that love... I don't, I don't even know if I want to use love. Do we think that connection is real, real, real? I think real? the connection is... Go ahead, Renata. No, I'm just laughing because he said real, real. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, like real. Know? Like, got to be real. I think the connection is real. Um, I don't think she's going to let that connection stop her from... I don't think that that connection is going to stop her from letting her plans come to fruition. But here's the other thing, because, and I, and I've said this before um, about people watching this show, none of the women, none of the black women in this are pawns. These are all fully developed characters with wants, needs, and desires of their own. If you break it down, Ruby and Christina are very similar characters. Because Ruby, you know, later on, you know, she's like, okay, girl, you're going to do all this and you're going to get what you want. And I'm, you know, I'm here using you to get what I want. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm developing feelings for you, but this is still about what I want. And now my caveat is that you don't hurt my sister. I don't really care what you do to Tick. She you really not hurt. I mean, that's basically what she said. You can have Tick, but just don't hurt Letty. Don't hurt my sister. But here's my thing. I like I that conversation. Like it made me go like, what? Because first of all, Letty has the invulnerability, so she can't get hurt. So I was like, is she using psychological shit to be like, don't hurt her also emotionally? Or like I was very I was like it just seemed like such a weird request to me. Christina put the spell on her, so I'm assuming Christina can take the spell away. Okay, maybe that's that. We did learn that you can take spells away. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel you. So yeah, she's she's con- she's concerned with getting and 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 nothing brings that home more than when she turned the gas off on nail. Wait, she okay. did what? When she turned the, the turned the machine off on nail. I thought that was funny. I was always thinking about a redhead. Yeah. I was like, go ahead, Ruby. So mm-hmm. Ruby. 
And Ruby has been very clear from episode one. These are the things that I want. And she did everything she could humanly do to get the things that she wanted until she discovered magic. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I can use this to get what I want. She even told Letty that at some point. Yeah. So before we move off of um, them in the house, I do want to bring up one other line, which I just thought was hilarious. Um, there was a gas explosion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the classic um, cover-up line. So, so that's that's what we're doing here. Gases are exploding. Okay. Um, All right. Did anybody else cheer when you saw the state of Lancaster? I did. I was because mm-hmm. like, I was because I think last week when we talked about it, I we we had a whole conversation about if he was still alive or not. Not anymore, mm. thanks to William. And did you notice that when he sees William, he said he calls William Christina. Christina, mm-hmm. yes. So he definitely knew the scenario. Which makes me wonder, can you see, if if you are versed in magic, can you see through the charm? I think, I think he knew because he killed William. Yeah, I think well, that's just what it was. He, I mean, I know they, he did kill William eventually, but um, William did make it to wherever Christina was before he died. Yeah, but he... He knows that he shot William in the back and that he shouldn't have survived that. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, that coupled with the fact that he knew that William and Christina were friends, I think he probably was, it was easier for him to just be like, mm, I see what you're doing, Christina, you know, <laughs> and, you know, keep it moving. That was how I, I took it. So that was, and her I spell was, her, her, not spell, but her plan for using the magic against him was so devious and wonderful. Yeah, that was nice. I'm glad that the totem came back. I'm glad that she explained it. I love the line, you know, regeneration can be a blessing or a curse. And uh, the wounds regenerating, I mean, it was brilliant. I like how she was like, I had hoped for a thousand deaths, but I guess I'll have to do with just one. And watch the light go out of his eyes. So, yeah, Franken-Cop Lancaster is no more. So, in order to do this spell, we're going to need the blood of uh, Dean's closest relatives. Lord. So, it's on, it's on you, Montro. And yet. We got the deer in the headlights look. Now, when Montrose. <laughs> now, when Montrose told Tick, because he just blurted it out. I mean, there was no, <laughs> there, there was no soft music. There was no candlelight. Did no we think he was going to do it nicely? Because, you know, he hasn't been well um, quaffed to do anything. He just kind of bungles through everything like a elephant in a china shop. Yeah. Um, so when he announced, makes this announcement and he keeps looking over his shoulder, did anybody else think that he was looking over there because he thought Tick was going to kill him? Yeah. I almost thought Tick was going to, but he was like, we got so much other stuff to deal with. I just feel like, it, you know, the recurring theme of, of secrets is just so strong. There's mm-hmm. so many secrets. There's so many 
ways that these secrets are just harming people generations later. I think that's that's the saddest part. Like I was happy about the reveal. It it's kind of, the way the series is now. I feel like I'm just waiting for confirmation on all the things that we've suspected. Whereas most series, you know, it's just like I've never I don't remember ever being so invested and being so um excited to see the the reveals. Yeah. Um and he was very concerned that his mother had cheated on his father. Again, I think Tick gets very caught up in what his parents were doing. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> I've been told that I'm wrong about this and <laughs> the normal response from a child is to be upset if the father cheats on the mother. I wouldn't know. Um, I just always believed that that's, you know, what that's their business. That has nothing to do with you. It's probably because you were told that's grown folks' business. That's, that's, not grown, so, that's grown folks' business. Now, as far as the rest of it, as far as, you know, him ha- getting upset about, you know, Montrose beating him regularly and, you know, wishing for people to save him and then finding out that, you know, well, I've been taking all these ass whippings from you and you might not even be my daddy. Um, I was with him for that. But his very first question was, Mama cheated on you? I think, I think that question came from the fact that he knows what an asshole Montrose is and was. And I don't think it was like, oh, dad, that's horrible that mom might have cheated on you. I think it was more like, well, she should have. You know, like, <laughs> mom cheated on you? Good for her. That's how I took it. <laughs> because um, that's what I would have been thinking. I, I, I think that... Um, I think that's where he's coming from with that. In addition to, like, you know, you beat on me and all this other stuff. But I love how they paid it off later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got a whole thing about Montrose later. But, um, and Letty continues to walk in on their bullshit. <laughs> like, this is like the sixth time that she has walked in on the two of them. Get ready to knock each other the fuck out or some shit like that. That's that's Letty's magical power. <laughs> Bad timing. <laughs> or or good timing, depending on how you look at it. She knows all like, the tea. I have a sense that Montrose and Tick are about to just go at it again. Let me go on and get in this room. Let me go let me go find them. It's a, it's like a sixth sense. She can smell it in the air. And she can feel it in her pinky toe. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Hippolyta returns. Hippolyta returns. And yes, it's D sick. What's going on? I was my baby with you people. Oh my god. And the zero fucks she look looks she was given when she came in. Cause she knows who she is and she has named herself. And I I oh my god. Just Ingenue Ellis was 
everything. I mean, she was she was severely missed last week, but it made her return and everything she did in the episode just extra spectacular. She had to be missing last week. Yeah. This would have never happened today. True that. Well, no, I actually, to be quite honest, I was, because I kept on thinking last week, and I don't think I mentioned this during the podcast, is that I'm, I'm actually glad she wasn't there, because if Lancaster would have gotten Hippolyta, I, I feel like that could have taken a turn for the worse. And, uh, yeah. 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 So they reset the spell, or reset the curse, rather. Um, Christina has done her job. She and Ruby are leaving. And Ruby has one of the realest conversations ever. Now, would anybody else have maybe have gotten in the car with her? With Christina or Ruby? With Christina and Ruby. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean Ruby telling Letty, you need to get your ass with us. Yeah. She healed you and brought you back and gave you a vulnerability. Shit. You need to be getting in this car with me. I understand where Ruby's coming from. I think that even still there's no trust between um, Letty and, and Christina and that's that's not going to change because of you know, a few things like that. Yeah. Because Ruby wasn't there when Christina let her father shoot her in the stomach. And I don't know, there's something about somebody shooting. But it, it still... Remember, from Letty's perspective, Christina and William lured them to that house. Okay. They thought they were getting away. Then um, Caleb and Christina stopped them from leaving. And as callously as you please, Caleb shoots her in the stomach and then tells Tick, you know, choose who's next to die. Yeah. And then he shoots Uncle um, Uncle George, when he brings, when he brings Letty back, it's not to, he's not bringing Letty back out of the goodness of his heart. It's because that was the bargain Tick made. Right. So at no point does Letty have any understanding of Christina that she is doing anything out of the goodness of her heart. Therefore, she has no, there's no trust built. Yes, she gave her these, you know, she brought you back from from the dead. Oh, that was a bargain she was fulfilling. Oh, well, she gave you invulnerability. Yeah, because she wanted these pages. Like, everything is transactional with her. She got you this house. Oh, yeah, because she was trying to get into Hiram's secrets. Like, nothing she's done for Letty has been out of the goodness. And if Ruby were to open her eyes, she would also see... That's why she asked asked Christina, like, hey, are you using me? Now, how many people you know that are using people going to say, yeah, you got me. I sure was using you. <laughs> That's not the way that normally works. But again, aren't they using each other? Mm-hmm. Yes and no. I mean, I, like, I recognize that Christina has clearly the upper hand in the power dynamic, but Ruby is trying to get everything she can get out of this. That is true. It's funny, Vanetta, in just talking about 
everything right now. She reminded me of something that we haven't gotten the answer to. So I guess maybe we should have a season two. Because I don't think they're going to answer this next week. We not got the answer to. Remember? Other than than where's Tree. Well, where's Tree? (laughs) Um, But we haven't gotten the answer to the episode three, Letty's house is being haunted. We saw a ghost in the elevator take it all the way down. Yeah. And we never got the answer to that. And and it op- the doors opened and there were all the bones and stuff. We kind of I mean we saw a little bit of that in, in the next episode when it was all um the water was, was rising there. But there was clearly a ghost in the elevator. There was the in, in a or spirit in the a house spirit, that yeah. That did not leave, that took the elevator down the hole. And uh we never got the answer to that. We never got an actual answer from the characters about that. So we'll mark that for season two. Yes, that'll be the season premiere. Yeah, I need to write it, letter to Misha Green. Oh yeah, she's she answers tweets. Oh, speaking Jeffrey. of tweets. Yes, go ahead, Jeffrey. Do you know? I do. Oh, I was gonna share. I, I wanted your surprise um, <laughs> during the podcast. I, That's why I, I didn't belong, send it to you. I belong to too many Lovecraft groups at this point. Well, there you go. Or much as anything to surprise me. Well, speaking of... Speaking about this? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, uh, Wunmi Mosaku liked my tweet. Oh, nice. So what did you say? It was about... um, Well, now you have to go make me find the tweet. Oh, well, then no. I I thought you were talking about the thing from episode uh, four. Oh, okay. Well, then no. Then I want to hear what you're talking about. But um, but no. It was uh, it was about her. Um, it was about her scene with Christina, where uh, we, we talked about it at length in the previous episode, where she really, you know, she she sort of, um, you know, she's she's talking about, you know, you don't feel anything, and and this that or the other, and I I, I just lavished praise on her because it was I was like she killed the scene like Wunmi Mosaku and uh, and she liked it and I was like yay oh congratulations thank you I know I've tweeted about you Journey Smollett Bell but you never liked it and I've and, ah. I, <laughs> and I've interviewed your brother so I'm just saying um. No, I thought you were talking about Misha Green talking about um, her misstep. Oh, yes, I did read that one too, yeah. In, in episode four, which, you know, what, is. What was that? Her, her misstep in writing, having the uh, two spirited character killed at the end. Yes. Oh, okay. She addressed that, but also she addressed that um, this wasn't. I guess this was not episode four when it ha- originally happened. the The episode in which Hippolyta goes to the observatory. Um, it said, "Kansas." Wait, I'm trying to get it right. Yeah, it, it says Kansas. It says Kansas, but it's really Kentucky. Yeah. And and in this one, they got it right. So I'm gonna assume that they'll edit the other one at some point to make it say Kentucky as, as well. But um, apparently uh, viewers, they noticed that on uh, D's roadmap, it actually said, uh, um, what now, which one's the right one? Kentucky's the right one, right? Kentucky's the right one. Okay. You can get to six, you can get to Kentucky in six hours from Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And, and apparently on her map, it said Kentucky, but she she hadn't noticed, and so they put Kansas, and then they realized, oof, we made a boo-boo. 
well, then I mean, that's the whole thing about Tick being in St. Louis and then getting to the observatory makes it that makes that implausible now because if it's if it's from Missouri to Kansas, that makes sense. But Missouri to Kentucky is a far those, longer those are drive. Two different, those are two different directions with a state in between them. Yes. Hmm. I wonder if that was a goof that she didn't need to fix. I just assume. No, I was going to say I assumed that there was more than one observatory, but it was the same one that was broken. Yeah, they went back and to because the exact time and, and space are fluid. It could be the same the same machine in every observatory. <laughs> I'm going to tell Misha that's what she should do. It's the same machine. In several different observatories, boop, done. It exists on several planes of existence. All right, Jeffrey, I because I know you've been waiting on this. They're loading D in the car, and Hippolyta gets to give her whole resume. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it was. I loved that moment. Not just for Hippolyta, but for the actual information that we got. She was gone for the equivalence of 200 years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 200 years. I was like, damn. That was, that. I loved that bit of information. So she has been away. Like, who knows how long she was with uh, Baker, who knows how long she was with uh, the tribe of women? Who knows how long she must have been? I would assume out of all of them, she was probably the most with George. Like just going, having adventures and that sort of thing. I'm like, wow, that is just, it's insane, but spectacular all at the same time. And I, I just, I, I love that moment for her. She was like, I have been on parallel. I've been on the parallel Earth where, and she gave it a number, Earth 5. Yes. And she was like, and I could name myself and I could be whatever I want. I could do whatever I want. And I did whatever I wanted. And I was there for 200 years. I can do this. I'm going. And then later on, when she was just spitting out all this information that they were like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, you get it, Hippolyta. It just, we had already gotten a taste of her black girl magic when they were in the, um, the planetarium. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really love that we got to see um, in her episode, we got to see so much of that. But then um, the other characters were not privy to what we were privy to. So right. I love that we got a chance that they got a chance to catch up on her awesomeness because obviously they they care about her you know she's part of their family and they grew up with her and they know she's awesome but that level of awesome they did not know and you could see everyone just really being excited to know this about her yeah I wonder because she was a different person when she came back yeah. She was because she was finally allowed to no longer have limits. She was finally allowed to no longer, as she, as she was saying, you know, she was making herself small. She, was, she has allowed herself to realize that she can be big 
And so I think her personality is is not different in the sense that it's radically different, but she knows who she is. She named herself. She knows exactly who she is and what she can do, and she's no longer limiting herself. So it allows her to be free. Right. I understand that, but I feel like it didn't, as far as the characters are concerned, they haven't seen a radical change in her character because of her trip yet. Not until maybe the end of the series, this episode, do they see bigger differences. But when she first comes back, she still seems like angry, grouchy Hippolyta that was pissed off with them for not telling them the truth about George. There wasn't a lot of difference in when she first comes back except like, alright, so she comes back Wait, D sick. They fill her in. Okay, let's do this. Oh, but it's broke. Yeah, we got it. That's when you start seeing a little bit of the change in her personality. Like she's a little bit more confident because she knows what's happening. Right. Whereas before, the only difference was that before she's she's still just as powerful. She just didn't have all of the information. Okay. And I, I don't think that that's a change in her personality as more as a change in her understanding if that makes a difference to you it makes a difference for me because i feel like at the core she has always been hippolyta her making herself small was specifically about taking care of george and taking care of about being a wife and a mother and that was it yes and and so it's not a matter of like that doesn't change who she is it just changed how she's interacting with the world and now that she has more information which was her, that was her, her chief point of pissed offness in the beginning when they came back from, um, from their trip and George was dead, was that she knew that they weren't telling her the whole story. And that's when she started digging and digging and digging. But the other characters didn't get to, all they, all they got from her was that she was pissed and they didn't know how to talk to her. So I just don't feel like it was a change in her and who she was as a character as much as it was a change in um, her level of understanding of everything. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Montrose and Letty. Well, they don't have a lot of conversations together, so this one was kind of intense. Montrose lets the cat, lets several cats out of the bag. As he usually does. But, you know... And while normally we might be upset about that, as you know, stated earlier, there is no longer a time to keep secrets. True that. This is the time for everyone to man up, woman up, um, just up, and 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 get the job done. Which right now is saving D, which is what um, Hippolyta told them before she opened the portal. Whatever's going on with y'all, y'all leave that shit here. Because <laughs> I ain't got time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she's going to wear a lot of bracelets. Oh, to cover her wrist? <laughs> yes. Well, doesn't it just glow when she wants it to? I don't know. I that's feel... what I thought. Maybe. Well, then that would be good. Because I'm like, that's going to be... That's hella bright. Like, she could... She doesn't need a nightlight anymore. 
she's not going to stumble into the kitchen in the middle of the night to get a glass of milk. <laughs> like, you know, she's just, she she's just. She's going to be using it like I use my, um, my, uh, my Apple watch. Exactly. Flipping it over. So that that was when I saw that lineup, I was like, oh, Lord, she still has those. So I'm like, I hope, you know, she needs to be careful. And can we just say re- we have officially redefined the term motherboard? We haven't been. <laughs> yes. And I loved everyone's response because the anachronisms, you know, just taking something from the future and bringing it to the past and then people not understanding it. Like, I looked like, what the hell is a motherboard? And that was, oh, it was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then her being the motherboard, and she's a mother, like all of just, it was magnificent. Incredibly meta. Yes. I liked it. I think that it was really, um, I have a feeling that um, as soon as D is out the water, she's taking D back to the future or to another earth or to somewhere else. Well, you think so? I think that's what I would do. She spent three, uh, 200 years already. Vanetta. The only reason to come back. Vanetta. Then she yeah. won't be in season two. Don't wish that. Well, why won't she be in season two? No, then she won't be in season two. Oh, oh she can hold a whole season two by herself. Well, maybe, but yeah. Traveling the universe. Well, that is true. Seeing, uh, seeing all of the things. That would be a whole storyline in and of itself. So I'm not worried about it in that respect. I just feel like it would be really cool. And it would make, like, I'm speaking from the standpoint of me as a mom. Me as a mom went on this adventure. And in the, what my family thought was like a week that I was gone, my baby got hurt, got cursed. Her best friend died. Oh, hell no. I'm taking her with me so she can name herself too. Right. We're going to go out and have all the adventures. All and we adventures. might come back and, and check in with y'all. Bring fake George along with us. Or all to George, <laughs> I have to say. And now to the no longer, there's no more funny left. Yeah. Montrose. Montrose literally, literally walks into his own version of hell. Yeah. I don't understand how, where's the book? The last time we saw the book was in Tulsa. Okay, let's send you to the day of the riots. It could have been any other day in 21. <laughs> you know, it could have been earlier in the year. It could have been the year before. We know that the, the book was in the house. But to be sent back to that day is like, that is the worst. And he was having so much PTSD. I felt so bad for him. Here, Okay, so two things. First of all, the rule of time travel is generally you can't take something out of play. So they had to go back to when the book was actually destroyed because they couldn't take the book out of play of history. Even though it wasn't being used, they didn't know that because the point is not to change time. I wasn't thinking about it from that standpoint. I was thinking about it from trauma standpoint. And I completely understand that because you are... because, Because... I watched this and I recognize that this was probably this was probably Montrose's most traumatic day before shit burned down. And then shit burned down. And then shit burned down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um again going back to the to the 
part about our characters and their flaws and who's the hero and who is not. Um, first of all, everybody looks stunning. The costume change was incredible. Although I immediately looked at her shoes. And I was like... I didn't look at her shoes, but I looked at that dress and I was like, that's the same dress she was wearing in that dream. Yep. Oh, see, I didn't... I love the dress. I didn't... Yeah, yeah. I knew she was going to be caught in that fire because that was the dress she was wearing in the dream. Because she said... Remember, when she was telling Chick about the dream, she said, I was on fire... But I wasn't scared, and it didn't hurt. Yeah. Very nice. I, I recognized the dress because I thought it was odd that she was dressed as a flapper. I did notice she was dressed as a flapper, too. In so. the dream, I was like, why would she be back in the 20s? And then I remembered they were going back to the 20s at some point. I noticed the shoes. I was like, how did you not pick up shoes? I um, they probably didn't fit. You know, here's the thing: if I time travel, if, if I don't go into the future, I'm fucked. Oh yeah, six foot five, three hundred pounds, and a size fifteen shoe. They ain't got nothing for me. I'm just running through the streets naked. Yeah, maybe like a bathrobe. Well, I'm just saying they didn't grow. They they wasn't growing them my size twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years ago. Yeah. So I wonder how our tick fans felt. When he turned on Montrose as they were on their way to the house. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. If you look at it, if you look at it from different characters' eyes, you interpret what's going on differently. Montrose has never opened up about what happened that day, what he went through before the massacre and 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 that sort of thing. So Tick's reaction to Montrose perfectly fits Tick's character and perfectly fits what his knowledge is of what's going on at that moment. So I personally was not mad at Tick. You know, once again his father or his not father, you know, at that point um has you know has uh, um you know uh, uh what was it? what am I trying to he's gotten drunk he's uh you know he's in essence tick sees him as being irresponsible in a time when you know we need everybody thinking clearly about the plan and the plot and what they got to do and the limited time and this that or the other so from Tick's point of view, I feel like he's he's perfectly justified in thinking what he's thinking. Clearly throughout their the day, he sees a whole bunch of other stuff and he gets a better understanding of Montrose. Montrose, he's doing the best that he can to in essence numb himself from the horrors that are going to come. And even though he has numbed himself, he thought he was numbing himself. I mean, he still is, you know, PTSD. He's, uh, he, he's, it, it's that weird situation of like, you know, what's coming and, and you can't escape it, but you you still have to walk towards it. And so Montrose in essence is doing the right thing for his character and he's reacting in the right way for his character. So I can't be angry at either of them. I think that it was the 
the most growth we've had with the two of them all season. See, yeah. Because as we said, with all of the things that Montrose has done, Montrose is ill-equipped to deal with trauma and pain. And because he was ill-equipped to deal with trauma and pain, he created a son who is also ill-equipped to deal with trauma and pain. And that is the legacy that they have that they are living every time they have a go. And I imagine Vertum was pretty much the same way. It's interesting that George managed to escape that. Well, if you think about who George George's character, remember when they're in the restaurant and George is like you know, he's talking about why he he does the, the book. And he's kind of like, in that moment, it's like, we're going to eat here because I'm always doing the right thing, right? He's always the one who acquiesced, always right. the one who tries to, to make it better. And in that moment, he was like, fuck it, we're staying here, which is the wrong moment. But <laughs> I can appreciate where he's coming from with that. And I think that, um, it's not that George was so much better than than Montrose. He just he learned really early to stay out of trouble, stay out of the way, stay ahead of where that trouble is. And if we think about what his safe travel guide was, it is literally a map so that you don't get in trouble. Mm. So in in essence, he is reenacting what he did in his childhood, which was staying out of the way of his father with white people in the larger universe. No, I was going to say, but also in the simplest of terms, he was heterosexual. He wasn't gay. And he did not, he was not exploring his sexuality in, in, in ways or having, he didn't have a curiosity that clearly Montrose was uh exhibiting and so his father like he his father even had a line you know uh, you know I, I know i'm not the only man in this house in reference to george and, yeah. and using that as a pejorative against montrose so sure. george didn't have the same problem that montrose did not that homosexuality homosexuality is a problem, but in in the eyes of of their father, it was. So Montrose was always going to be the one getting in trouble. I will say I love Will Catlett. If y'all uh, listeners, if you haven't seen Black Lightning, Will Clat Will Catlett is spectacular as Latavius, a a villain you you just love because he plays him spectacularly i hated him in this episode though. <laughs> he was just he's a pretty awesome character on um, black lightning yes uh latavius is amazing so will catlett he has range because man he was just i found it hard to hate him here mm. um first of all let's talk about the switch thing um jeffrey i don't know if you've ever had to Go get it. <laughs> I suspect Vanetta has. I have had to. We had switches over every doorway. See, um, I had to go up. We had a, a, a big tree out back, out 
uh, behind the backyard of the house. And I had to go out there and, and get one. And just the right one, of course. That was not a switch. That was a branch. That was a branch. Freaking branch. That was a branch. And that's the first thing I said. That's not a switch. That's a branch. You're beating him with a tree. Well, there's tree. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we found tree. Yeah. Yeah, that was um that that was that was hard to watch. That was just really hard to watch. But I can't because it wasn't a switch or because of the other parts. (laughs) All of it. Because of the switch, because he again, because he was not that was not corrective behavior spiking. No, it wasn't. That was abusive. I'm gonna beat this shit out of you beating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then for Montrose to tell the story as it's happening. And then you hear Montrose end with, yeah, I deserve that. And that's kind of like the whole his whole arc. Yeah. Is that all of the stuff that happens that he feels is, is bad, he feels like he deserves it. So remember when we were saying Wow, he didn't even defend himself when when Tick um, beat mm-hmm. him up. He felt like he deserved it. Yeah. Um, he thought he was gonna get get beat up again. He felt like he deserved it. Um, you know, like all of the stuff. And then when things that do happen that are good for him, he doesn't feel worthy. It just it broke my heart. It's a horrible, horrible place to be. Um, before they split up. Uh, Tick and uh, and Letty have the con- have a what probably for them <laughs> a deep conversation about the fact that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By time because everybody else seems to know. I, I yeah. feel like they took a, an ad out in the Chicago Times or something because like. Goodness, I know, I know the whole thing when Ruby was about to say it, and she's like, Shh. and then it was just like everyone's talking about it, but like no one's talking about it. And I was like, can they just talk about it, please? Because like she already knew a whole bunch of stuff anyway, because Montrose was like, oh yeah, he knows he was in the future. And I'm like, all right, can they actually talk about it, please? Yes, can you leave them a little something to deal with? But I guess not. And we should name him George. I'm yes. gonna love him and squeeze him and hug him and call him George. Which she didn't know that, right? She didn't know that because Montrose didn't no, say didn't his name. Part. Yeah, no, Montrose, so that was Montrose only kind of let it slip that it was a boy. Yeah, so that was brilliant. That was like, oh, the prophecy. But again, things could turn around. Um, Georgina, so I will tell you what scene touched my heart deep, deep inside, was watching all of those black women in that house packing heat. Strapping up. They were strapping up. There was no, y'all go in the basement and stay safe, we will protect you. It was, uh uh-uh, you take this point, you take this point, and when they gave Letty the gun, not sure if she knew how to use it or not, she got instructions. Because everybody's got to earn they keep up in here. Yeah. But we already had a little bit of a taste of how strong the women were going to be with Dora, like earlier. So it wasn't 
that surprising, but it was still really nice to see. The well, part it wasn't surprising. Mm-hmm. You just don't see it. True. The the part right before that, before they all sort of strap up, where I where where Letty sort of walks in, and you could see Letty trying to figure out what am I supposed to say? What can I say? What can I not say? Am I fucking up the future? Was brilliantly played all over Journey Smollett's Belle's face. Because I was like, because she was like, oh man, did I just fuck up? Did I do the right thing? Like, it would, am, I, am I saving them accidentally? Am I, like, I, oh, it was amazing. The, the struggles I, were brilliant. I loved how the, the matriarch um, figures her out immediately. Oh, yeah. And, and corners her and says, like, okay, so what's up? Like, tell me, tell me what's happening. And then she tells her. And, um, and that moment when she realizes that, that like, I, you, we can't change the future, but I want, I'll tell you that this is what happens. And she's like grateful. Yeah. And like, I just got chills even thinking about it again. It was so beautiful. And that, um, feeling of our ancestors literally making sacrifices to help us come into existence. It was powerful. Yeah. Nana Hattie, she, she, when she saw the shoes, I mean, once again, the shoes, which I guess you maybe know, she... I think the shoes were a part of it, but I honestly think that it was a little bit of the magic inside of her. I think that too. I agree with you on that. I think, I think it was something screaming to her. She sensed that she was out of place. Shoes, yeah. The shit ain't right. She sensed that she was out of place. That's what I think. I immediately got that, but then she looked down, and I think the shoes confirmed it, for whatever reason. And I, I agree with you, Vanetta. Uh, I thought the scene with her and Letty in in the room was incredibly powerful because, once again, much like w- what I was saying about Letty's face, like seeing her face reacting to everything, because in essence she initially wants to go downstairs to help her family. And, and so it's, it's the, it's the struggle on her face of, do I save my family now? And, and then like have to really just instantly come to the realization that I can't save them. I can't save my current family because they need to die for the future to live on. And it was, Oh God! Like that entire moment with her was when I was weeping, because it was I was like, it was just powerful. Like having someone realize that they have to accept their own death and their family's death so that the future can live on was just ridiculously powerful. It was so almost as powerful to watch. Almost as powerful as as watching her burn to death. Yeah. I, I didn't need all that. I don't think I Letty needed all that either. All that. Yeah, I don't think Letty needed that either. But it was very nice of her. And to be quite honest, it was probably best that she stayed in the flames to make sure there, you know, nothing changed. Yeah, when However, was... her staying in the flames caused Hippolyta to, <laughs> to turn her hair purple. 
So no, it was blue. It was uh, what do you call it? The the girl from the comics. Yeah. Um, no, it was going to be a blue. But I'm saying, yeah. it, if she hadn't, if she had like. Well, yeah, well, no, that's a whole nother thing because the internet was like, why she's been running all these damn episodes, but this time she decides to walk and the visuals were spectacular, but she needed to be running. I get it though. You, I mean, all that death and destruction just around you. Yeah. There was a tweet that I, that I saved or I t- took a picture of and I posted it on my Facebook and I was like this is real and it was like in essence to summarize it it said something to the gist of you know we say never forget about 9-11 but we have forgotten about Tulsa and I was one of the people that didn't know about Tulsa and to be quite honest until Watchmen and I haven't seen Watchmen but there were so many articles written when Watchmen came out about Black Wall Street and about Tulsa because the, if I'm not mistaken, the opening of the series is a recreation of of that, correct? Yes. Watchmen fans? But okay. But the difference is with Watchmen, you see it from one character's point of view where he is at the time, um, location-wise. Yeah. Where he is, so you see one very small part of Tulsa get destroyed. Okay, and that's the difference. And, and he's a kid too, because yeah. you see it from the standpoint of this kid, and his memories are faulty. He says they're faulty, but you get the impression that it's real, but you don't. It was just different. It okay. was so very different seeing it this time. Yeah. So this was just. This was full-scale destruction. Like, yeah. I think in, in Watchmen, they show one plane fly over mm-hmm. towards the end, but here you see... Planes. Multiples. Uh, yeah. And so, so the greater point is, is that, uh, like many others, because I, I remember you know people commenting, like, I didn't know about this. Like, why weren't we taught this? And our, I mean, we've, we've, I feel like we always get into discussions of just, you know, what is and isn't taught in school and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But this is something that should be taught. And, and it's a shame that it's taken two television series to have to visually interpret this uh, for all of us to remember it. And, uh, and if we are saying never forget to 9-11, which was a foreign terrorist coming in and killing Americans, we should 100% be remembering the, 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 the act that was, you know, homegrown, you know, white American terrorists terrorizing Americans. Like, well, here's the other mm-hmm. thing, Jeffrey. This wasn't the only one. Correct. This you, was one of the larger ones. Correct, yeah. But it wasn't the only one. There were 44. 44 massacres on this scale of black bodies at the hands of white folks. 44. And again, at the at the beginning of Watchmen, when you see it, the character is in the movie theater and he gets shuffled out. Here, you get to see people just living their life, just 
minding their own business, you know, just preparing for a prom celebration mm -hmm. and, you know, just being people minding their own fucking business. And you also hear some of the uh, precipitating things like, well, the, um, the prom got canceled because they were worried about the response of the white boys because of that, um, the the guy, um, I can't remember his name, Dick somebody, but he got in trouble for apparently whistling at a white girl too. Right. Something yeah. something along the same lines as um, Emmett Till. Emmett and so you just, it's so horrible, but it's also something like in our family, it was something that we learned. It was something that we learned because my mom did not want us to not know. But if you don't have a family, like if your mom is not like mom, my mom was a teacher. And so everything was through the lens of stuff you need to know. But yeah, my, a lot of people I don't, don't think have my that. parents knew about it. My grandparents, my great grandparents probably did, but my mother didn't know anything about this. So yeah, I, I, I found out years later, uh, just being around other people who knew about it. Montrose reading the names off, I thought was incredibly important because we, we see, if you just look at the massacre, you know, you sort of look at it from the point of view of what you're seeing and like, you're seeing all the death and destruction at the time and, and you're seeing the tragedy of what that is. But if you look at it, if you take away, if, if you look at it from the greater picture and you think of, so all of these people in the, in this town, they, they have amassed success. They've amassed wealth. All of that disappears for any descendants that are left. So it's not just how horrific the act is at the time. It's the generational horrors that happen yep. afterwards. And I think a lot of people don't really think about that when when they just think of of all of these massacres. It wasn't just about you know stopping the growth of black people at that time. It's about completely zeroing them out for generations to come. Yes. That's why that that um Kimberly Clark video has gone viral in many, you know, uh, communities of color because, you know, she's like, she lists all of the things and all of the ways, and she compares it to Monopoly. Oh yes, all the ways yes. That um, that people, uh, that black people have been held back, and um, you know how just generationally, we haven't been able to amass wealth in the same way, and then you know. Every time we we get ahead, you kick us back. Like it was so brilliant and so poignant because it's exactly true. Yeah, reparations needs to be a for real real thing. It really does. Absolutely. That and well, also the United States needs to apologize, much like many of the other countries. I know it's just a symbol, but I think that's also another step in the right direction. Actually acknowledging that they benefited off of the slave trade, which other countries have, have. You'd have to acknowledge first, and they are afraid to do that. Well, I don't know if everybody's afraid. Definitely Republicans are afraid. 
one thousand percent. Well, I don't even think it's it's even partisan because I know uh, I, like, many Democratic senators that are also not really for reparations. But I think it's a matter of um, what we've seen this summer is exactly about this thing. Um, we've seen people in the streets, people saying like, this is not right and all these different things. And, you know, a lot of social justice work being done. And then still just yesterday, an executive order was passed saying that Columbus Day is now reinstated. So it's, I don't even think, I don't, I don't believe that my security and freedom is, should be a partisan thing. Like, I don't think that you should be able to say, well, because I'm Republican, I'm sorry, you know, I'm so sad, so sad for you. Or because I'm Democrat, um, you know, I don't feel this way. No, this is a human thing. It has nothing to do with politics. At all. We are humans that have built this freaking country, built the country, not just been here and in building this country, we have had the most heinous lies told on us. We're the most lazy. We're the most um, shiftless. And, you know, we don't we tell the truth. And all these different care things. Of. Yes. And all of these different things that are incredibly not true. And yet, we're still here. We're still building this country. We're still actively part of this country. And we have to hyphenate our names. But we were born here. I look at this whole thing and I'm so grateful that we have stories like this that can be told, but it's so frustrating because they still have to be told in a way that people are like, Oh my God, is that for real? Yes, that's for real. Um, I saw a number of people trying to put this and Watchmen in the same universe because they both have a Tulsa component to them. And it, first of all, it's it's maddening to me mm-hmm. that 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 you you would think that. And so, so every I'm, movie with World War Two is in the same universe. Is in the same universe. And what I and, and, and what I said in one of the groups was it has nothing to do with them existing in the same universe. They are two very different stories from two very different places. The fact is that you are so un- unused to seeing stories told about us, by us, with a cast of us, that you f- that, that deal with similar things, magic and science and mystery and science fiction that you feel compelled to throw them all in the same pot. But Lovecraft, Country, and Watchmen are no more related to each other than Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Charmed. I mean, they're both about witches. Uh, they the both same. got witches and magic and, and demons and all of that, but they don't exist in the same universe. And they're both in California. That's people because it's. Uh, I blame Marvel for doing the universes. No, <laughs> I just. Uh, it's just people are are ignorant yeah. and lazy, and it's it's not entirely their fault, but I do feel like it's definitely something that, um, 
needs to be addressed in the in the way of like, hey, this is not the way. Like, we can be. We don't have to be a monolith. We can be all different things. We can be all the colors of the rainbow of things, just like you can. We can name ourselves. We can name ourselves. I cried so much on that episode. Um. So last part of Tulsa, because we've pretty much covered most of it. Uh, so I was right. Yes, my question. <laughs> May I ask? I enjoy being right, as we all. Yes. Know. And I was. I have. A, I have a friend who called me after he watched this episode, and he said, "Okay, so what happens in the next episode?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "Yes, you <laughs> clearly do." Because yeah. you know what is happening in all these other episodes. Mm-hmm. So you clearly know what's going to happen in the next episode. You could tell me they're going to show 35 minutes of just a blue screen, and I would believe you. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know what's going to happen in the next episode. Why but maybe I will after I do my rewatch. Why are you lying? <laughs> all right, so here's my question. Here's my question. Because okay. I do, I really do want to, I need an answer to this. And okay, it's probably the question. I'll, I'll give it. Okay, because it's probably the question that everybody has. So my question for you is, how did you make that prediction? And and you made that prediction very early on. It was either the second or the third episode where you were like, I think you know that story that they said about the uh-huh. man and the stranger. Like mm-hmm. I think that was tick. And mm-hmm. and I do wonder, is it? Did, was it because you kept on seeing the baseball bats? Was it because of the Jackie Robinson in the in the opening scene of the series? Did you? I, I know that the, all the episode titles were out, and we actually commented on that episode nine was Rewind nineteen twenty one. Did that also give you a hint? Like, what was it? What was it about it? Because you were the one that called it, and we were all like, "What?" They tell you, okay, so just like the opening in the first episode. In the language, in the in the syntax, in the words, they tell you everything that's going to go on. I figured it out in episode three when Mont- when Tick goes to Montrose's house apartment, picks him up off the floor because he's drunk, and they're talking and Macho starts to tell the story again, and Tick says, yeah, and Tick finishes the story, and he says, yeah, I've heard you and Uncle George tell that story so many times, I feel like I was there. And I said to myself, because you are, because you are Jackie Robinson. Hmm. After he said it, I thought about it from the standpoint of that makes that would make so much sense because of the dream that he had when he was on the bus. Yeah. I like it. It's the same way I figured out that Montrose was a guy. It was everything George said to him in the second episode, Whitey on the Moon. Mm-hmm. And it was very brief. And George's um, familiarity with Dora. Mm. Yes. They were cozy. They were. And she said... You're, she she talked about the what if game that they always played. What if you had superpowers and Montrose's was super strength? Well, I could see that because that'd get my father from stopping to whoop my ass. George's was to escape. 
because he wanted to fly. And essentially that's what George did. George escaped and went on the road trip for the for the guy. And Dora says to him at one point, if you come here, you can fly, you and your children. Mm-hmm. I like it. That was a good answer. I've been curious and curious since yeah, you said it. Thinking, so I need to go back and... Because um, Christina said something in this episode today. And it's a... Um, it's something she's repeated throughout the series. This is my first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, when did she say that? Well, when she said this time was when she was talking to Ruby at the house. Um, and she gave that whole speech about my father used to, my father and his friends used to talk about magic like, you know, it was money or politics, you know, something to bend the world to their will. I want to experience it. I want to experience an eternity of first. Mm hmm. Do we think that she was created recently? Because she's had so many firsts just since we've seen her. That's a that really interesting question because we don't know who her mother is. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Never talked about, they've never talked about her mother. Um, her father, like I was curious, did he know that she and William were the same person? Um, I went back and watched some of episode two and William never directly interacts with her father, but he is in the room at one point with the father. He's off to the side, but he's still in the room. So the, and I wish Priscilla was here because I wanted to ask her. She, you know how she always talks about the voiceovers and the you know music ruined taking her out of the mood. Mm-hmm. So for the end, did the music you out? The opera? No. Yeah. No, it was good. The I, the, the I, poem I was good. Sanchez, so I'm always here for it. And you know they wrote that just for this. Yeah. No. Uh, well, the poem is was not written the for poem, this. The. Yeah. The opera was written for this. The and the opera, opera just for this. Yeah, the opera was not the same person that did the voiceover for the poem. Right. Okay, I was thinking he had first mentioned poem, so I was thinking poem. Yeah, no, the opera was written just for this. Yes. Both were, were perfect. It, it fit uh, perfectly with uh, the scenes, the visuals. Uh, I did read an article that was specifically talking about the opera and, and how, you know, it, it was almost, it's almost cathartic, you know, after all the stuff that we've seen. And, and I felt that way as well. Uh, you know, Sinner Man, shout out to Alice Smith, uh, was not played at the end. Uh, it was the opera and it, it was the first time Sinner Man had him playing at the end. And, and I thought it was appropriate. Uh, I thought it yeah, I I liked how it ended. How about I was so relieved that I didn't even realize that a man hadn't played. Right. I I it, it until I went back and watched a couple other episodes this week. I said, "Oh, they didn't play Cinderman at the end." I didn't know it until just now when you said it. Because I was so into that all of it. Yeah. And then so spent. After. Did you go did you did you Watch it all the way until it it cut off completely. 
I didn't even realize, uh, like, I was still just staring. Okay. I was just staring. So, yeah, I, the whole shebang, all of it. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we will go to the MVP section. I just have two little things. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, number one, because we didn't really talk about him, Thomas. We did not talk about Thomas. And then, and Montrose is just, you know, can I save him? And, like, their dialogue, their incredibly emotional dialogue, where Tick is like, but if you save him, I might not exist. And then Montrose basically telling him, no, you would always exist because I always wanted you. And in essence saying, you might not be mine biologically, but you're my son. And both of them, oh, I mean, that was just a stunning piece of work right there. But then also, I mean, Thomas dies because we horribly. Had, yes. Again, horribly again, again, even if they hadn't burned the city down, this still would have been one of Montrose's darkest days ever. Yes. And then, you know, we, we've basically realized if you, if you know anything about time travel, we've realized that this is a loop where uh, by this point, this had always happened. And so we get that full realization with, with Derek's prediction that Tick is the mysterious man with the baseball bat bashing the skulls of the white people. He didn't even let the white girl. You, you know, like you here with the racism. I was so Bam. happy they had a white girl in there. Exactly. Same. And I love that he treated her like the rest of them, as he should have. But, um... The, the, this moment, which I thought was beautiful, and this comes after Tick, you know, realizing that he was always the man, and, and, uh, and always hearing the story, I got you, kid. But, like, the extra emotionalness of this, by, by, by him, in essence, looking at Montrose and saying to him, I got you, kid. So, in essence, Montrose has been looking up to this mysterious stranger. Like, he speaks about this story. You know, this mysterious stranger saved me. And his hero all along has been his son. Incredibly powerful. So, for the listeners, if you don't know anything about sci-fi and time travel, this was a time loop. So, in essence, you know, this had always happened. They had always gone back in time that day. Uh, this, that, or the other. So it, it is. It is a complete loop. What we saw. It is. It was full circle, as the next episode it, is called. It also, in it also, in um, in essence, cements other parts of our story. So the realization that it was a time loop, and that it had already happened. It is. It was always going to happen. They were always going to go back to twenty one. They were always going to go back and save the boys, you know, um, and Dora, that that had already happened means that some of the other things that we're hoping won't happen next week may also be cemented in the same way. Since we already know that Tick went to the future, we don't know whether he went to the future. Right, we don't know what future he went this, to. Yes, in, in our universe. But if he did go to the future and it's in our universe, then we know what's going to happen based on the fact that he has the book. So there's that 
bit of like yay well, I think because, heartbreak. I, I think because the details were different in the book that his son wrote, um, it probably wasn't this universe. And I'm not giving in to Vanetta Berry's negativity. So I am I'm going, not trying to be negative. I'm I going to think positive. Yay and heartbreak. I know, That's but I'm I'm not giving into the heartbreak it's just saying. yet. I don't want to give I, into the heartbreak too either. But you know, if we go back to the Flash universe and all the times that he screwed up the timeline, we know that things that had happened, he completely shifted. You know, um, even though he thought he didn't change anything, he did change things and and. People had the wrong kids and everything. So yeah. there's that hope. The butterfly effect. That's my nerdiness coming out. That's all. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let us head to the MVP area, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. I. I'm going to go first. <laughs> I, who am I picking? Do we know? Duh. My MVP for the week is the person who, because everybody ain't going to do this, mm-hmm. willingly walked into their own hell to save a child. Mantras. Indeed. Knock me over he with a feather. I will never say another crossword about Montrose ever again. I don't care what he do. All right. So mine's is Montrose. Vanetta, who you got? Who you picking? Um, there were so many good character arcs this, this um, episode, but I got to give it to Hippolyta. She came in like my auntie just strong and ready to kick some ass and take some names and with the knowledge of 200 years of travel she was like fuck this shit let's do this let's save my baby y'all not gonna y'all not gonna hurt my baby nah let's do this i loved it and um and when she had to dig in deeper to make sure that the portal stayed open and she levitated I was just like, and we didn't even talk about that. Like she freaking levitated. Yeah. Um, not a little bit, like at a least lot. a full story off the ground. She pulled us. Uh, she a, had to go up yeah. on the thing in order to to see our face to face. She pulled a yeah. storm. She did, and um, so yeah, I I was all about that. All right, Jeffrey. I suspect I may know who he's going to pick. Interesting. Okay. So, who is your MVP for the week? Interesting. Now I'm curious to hear who you think I'm gonna pick. Um, maybe you'll tell me afterwards if you if if you were right. I'll tell you after if I'm right. All right. I mean, if you're right. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So, when we do these things at the end, the MVP and and the ratings, like there are sort of general ground rules and that kind of stuff that which we all follow, and then we all give ourselves personal rules. For example, Derek saves a golden anything as much as he can. I think the most you've ever given out on any series is maybe two goldens. 
yeah. during a season. We're not rating the episode. No, 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 I know. No, no, but I'm saying our personal rules. So that's Derek's okay. personal rule for ratings. Yeah. I clearly don't follow that. But um, one of my personal rules for MVPs is I typically do not like to repeat a character in a consecutive week just because I like to spread around my MVPs to different characters. Like I might come back to a character in a couple of episodes and that kind of thing, but I try not to repeat week to week. That's just a personal rule that I have. Okay. And I'm going to break it this week because I'm going to give it to Atticus. I gave it to him last week and I'm going to give it to him again this week. Jonathan Majors was spectacular in this episode. Once again, seeing his facial reactions emoting the complexities of what Atticus was going through throughout the episode from his conversation to with um with Montrose about uh George to him really you know getting annoyed at Montrose but then coming starting to like understand coming to an understanding of what Montrose was experiencing that day when when he was witnessing you know Montrose witnessing um, his childhood and then the conversation at the end where where he was worried that he wasn't going to exist but Montrose was like no you know I would have always chosen you you are my son like the complexities of everything that that Atticus was going through was superbly acted by Jonathan Majors. And he, yeah, for me, he was the MVP. That is not who I thought you were going to pick. You thought I was going to pick Letty? No, 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 no. Oh. I thought you were going to pick Nana Hattie. Oh, well, she was spectacular. I mean, yeah. I almost picked Nana Hattie too, but I had to give it to Hippolyta. Yeah, she was on my list, but yeah, Jonathan Majors just knocked it out the park for me. And I understand every reason you picked Jonathan Majors because his face did a whole thing. His face was the entire was an entire other show that you could just follow. Yeah. Alright, so speaking of rating, we are going to rate this episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 keys? It should have been bats. The point system is allowed if you found that episode (laughs) exceptional. Deserving of more than 10, you may grant it a coveted golden key. We will go in reverse. So, Jeffrey, you go first. Should we just pass the golden key over now? Uh, You have no idea how much I actually have been going back and forth about this episode. Just because I I have a feeling the finale is going to be spectacular. And I was like, do I just want to give this one a golden? Or do I want to give it a 10 so that the finale can be even more special? Listen, point blank in the period, it was a stellar hour of television. It, it brought the emotions. It, it, it gave us answers. It allowed our characters to confess certain things. Uh, a lot of the secrets that have been plaguing our characters we're out in the open in this episode. It was an incredibly productive episode as well because they they were able to get this book that uh, they didn't think they would ever acquire. And by the means of magic, they have the book, which not only can can help 
D, but can potentially help them thwart Christina as well. Um, the acting was top-notch. The, the music was top-notch. The visuals, the, the heartbreaking visuals and, and the visuals that, that just showed us that some of these characters have gone on an incredible journey just within this episode by itself. I've, I think I've convinced myself into giving it a golden key. So yes, I will give I it a golden key. Thank you. <laughs> I, I already... You are the man of the prophecies, and you were correct. Although you were not correct with my MVP, you were correct with the rating. I was not. I was, not. I was in the ballpark, but no, I yes. didn't get it Well, you know, sometimes our crystal balls are a little foggy. No kidding. Where, where, would, where did my mind go? The crystal balls. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lynetta, how are you rating the episode? Um, I don't know. I didn't really feel... I didn't like this episode so much. <laughs> Not. Um, I'm also giving it a golden, golden key. I already wrote a golden key down also. <laughs> Thank you. Lynetta? I, was typing, I was typing it in and I wrote golden kitty and I was like, the fuck is a golden kitty? Oh. Well, you know, that's for a different show. <laughs> But, but yes, yeah, you're I really enjoyed it. I love it. Join me, Vanetta. I, I already said it. No, I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Join me. Yeah. We'll go. We'll go off to Earth, five oh five, and celebrate. I really want to be contrary, because I have never given this much gold out to any television show. I think that I've ever done here, but. I'm going to have to give this episode a golden key. It, it 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 took me through all the emotions. It took me through all the emotions. It was very well done. Um, yeah, I I I got nothing. I'm proud of you, Derek. Thank you, thank you so much. You're welcome, Derek. So before we yes. before we go, mm-hmm. I just remember you said something about Christina saying that she was very. Um, talented and was she just saying it because if she weren't talented was she not going to help her but then that wasn't the reason no I think she was saying that she was talented because of the fact that if she hadn't if she hadn't had the presence of mind to draw down draw what she was experiencing they wouldn't have known what to do to fix it right exactly I got that on like the third watch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, oh, so, you know, okay. All right, bitch. So your, your help is conditional on if you think she's talented or not. My exact, uh, no, sorry. It took me three times to realize Christina was actually complimenting Dee on her artwork, telling them what had happened. Which shout out to Fua Richardson. That's her work. Yes. And I'm so proud of her. Absolutely. So very proud of her. I wish they had shown and more she, of it. And she's secretly my girlfriend, even though she doesn't know it yet. You know, she's I've had a few of those. I just have the biggest crush on her. And with that artwork, I understand. And as we end this week's journey into Lovecraft Country, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? 
Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Greetings from Lovecraft Country and subscribe. Thank you, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, Vanetta. Good night, y'all. Jeffrey. Good night, listeners. Stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Greetings from Lovecraft Country every Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. This is Derek Anthony wishing you a good night.